Just a quick one from us. Any medical information given in this podcast does not constitute as medical advice. If you do have any problems, queries or concerns, please go to your medical provider. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to Podstetrics. Welcome everyone. So I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. And this is our third episode of Podstetrics. It is our third episode. We've made it this far. I can't believe it. I think we said that at the start of the last one too. I know. We're like, oh. Um, so today we've got a really special episode because we do have a Q&A. Yes, today. today is our first Q&A. First ever Q&A. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I guess I'll start off with a little introduction. Yeah. So um, James, in a, James is an obstetric um, and gynecology resident at a major metropolitan hospital, um, and he'll be applying for specialist training at RANSCOG. So RANSCOG um, is the Royal Australian College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. Um, he's also really heavily invested into research, and that's something that we'll be talking about today. Um, but he's also the owner of a brand new German Shepherd as well. So thanks so much for uh, coming on, James. And welcome. No, thank you very much for having me, guys. Beautiful. So I guess we'll start off, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and who you are? Perfect. No, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, so yeah, my name's James Kemper. I was uh, born and raised in Melbourne. Um, both of my parents are doctors. My father's actually an obstetrician and gynecologist uh, out in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And my mother's a geriatrician. Um, but the family line doesn't stop there. My maternal grandfather, so my mother's father, was a cardiologist. And so I basically never stood a chance. Uh, and my sister, who's two years younger, has just graduated. Right. So, I mean, you've obviously got quite the, the pedigree of medicine. I guess, what drew you you to medicine? Uh, Look, I think probably, um, I mean, obviously the family had a big uh, influence on me. Um, I wanted to do medicine since probably about year seven or year eight. And looking back, I probably had no plan B uh, when it came to year 12. I was lucky enough to get straight into Monash University's undergraduate medicine program. uh, And so that was lucky and I've gone from there. Pretty cool. Yeah. So straight out of um, high school, you entered medicine. Yeah, look, I was lucky enough. It's, it's such a competitive process, uh, uh, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I knew that's where I wanted to go, and I worked hard at it. I a bit of luck on your side as well. Uh, and then, yeah, managed to get in uh, as a straight out of year 12. It's crazy. So, James, did you want to tell us a bit about your background into research? So why research? Yeah, so I did my first, uh, my first experience of research was in a Bachelor of Medical Science Honours year. And I did that between the fourth year, uh, which at the end of you have the big exams within medicine and your final year of medicine. So I did it between year four and five. And I'd done that because I was lucky enough to be supported by my parents and, and not required to start working as soon as possible, as well as having an interest in research. I knew it was important both uh, personally, both uh, for the broader community, but as well slightly selfishly for uh, future college applications. Most of the colleges these days look for some sort of research criteria to get onto the program and then also require ongoing research uh, for their trainees as they progress through the program. And that's, I think, pretty much universal these days for the uh, programs, but certainly for Ranscog. Oh, James, you're making so, and I, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Look, you think medical school's the hard part? It's not. I tell you. And look, I thought the Bachelor of Medical Science uh, year was a good opportunity to do it in a sort of supportive environment. I, you have the whole time to dedicate to it, and uh, so I managed to do that at Monash Health and Monash IVF with uh, two amazing people. I did it with uh, Professor Beverly Vollenhoven and, and Dr. Lon Talmore. Uh, who were fantastic uh, mentors and, and guided me through the process. And that sort of set the foundation. And then I've built from there. 
Right. So you're, you're like Bachelor of Medical Science here, your honours year. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you did during that year? Yeah. So look, I looked at, uh, at pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy uh, or PGTA. So this is where the day five blastocyst, so within the IVF space, uh, when they combine the egg or the oocyte and the sperm, uh, they then culture that embryo. And at day five, uh, it has already split into two parts. The And I think you guys have spoken about this in the past, uh, the trophectoderm, which will form the placenta and the inner cell mass that will form the baby. And what you can do at that point, um, and you can do it at day three as well, but traditionally now it's done at day five, is you can biopsy some of the trophectoderm cells and have a look at the genetic makeup. The idea behind this is if you can detect which of the embryos are abnormal at that stage, so either aneuploid uh, or I suppose have different genetic makeups, something we call mosaicism, uh, you can hopefully choose the best euploid embryos, which therefore have a higher chance of implantation and hopefully a shorter time to a live pregnancy, which is after all what the women want yeah. when yeah, they go right. through IVF. Amazing. And I suppose for our listeners, if we just break that down a little bit, aneuploidy is just referring to, <clears throat> I guess, normally in a cell, you have a set number of chromosomes, so 23 pairs or 46 chromosomes, um, and aneuploidy just being a different number to that. That's exactly right, yeah. And I suppose the other thing is the mosaicism that I mentioned, and that's where you can almost have two genetic cell lights, uh, and so you don't really know what the result is. Uh, and the evidence around that is still very much in the air. There's some thought that the body will naturally screen those embryos out and they're doomed to fail. There's also another thought that uh, because you're sampling, the cells that you're sampling are from the placenta, that really the baby, the inner cell mass, may actually be completely genetically fine, and so that embryo could have the same chance of success going forward. Um, so it's a very new area. I'm not all over it, um, but that's sort of the mosaicism side of things. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I guess as well, just like a painting a picture, I guess, for our listeners in terms of mosaicism, uh, it's kind of like, I mean, a good analogy would be like if you had, you know, a painting um, and you were to throw blue paint um, on that painting, but then also have little splotches of red. The red, I suppose, is what you're looking for. But if we take a sample of a small area, we might only get the blue. So we might only be thinking that the blue is representative of the whole painting when it's not. Yeah, and that's always the problem when you take a sample of only a couple of cells is the chances that you may potentially miss, as you said, you get the blue or the red, um, but not necessarily both. What, what has really drawn you into obstetrics? So how did you really figure out that this was the area that you were like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life? I think it's been a slow, uh, gradual onset. I don't think there was a light bulb moment per se for me. I always had exposure by my father, of course, and I always tell the story fondly, and I've got photos of when I was probably about a year and a half old, and my sister is two and a bit years younger. So when mum was pregnant with her, dad used to bring the Sonicade, which is a handheld device to listen to the fetal heart rate. He used to bring that home on the weekends, and so I've got pictures of me holding that up against mum's stomach and listening to my sister's heartbeat. Um, we also used to go on ward rounds with my father and occasionally when mum wasn't around to look after us and he was called in for an emergency, we used to be looked after in the theatre kitchens by the staff there. Um, and I think then I was lucky enough that as a work, during work experience at high school, I managed to see a number of uh, normal vaginal deliveries as well as cesareans. And I think there's the stereotypical joy that you get out of watching a baby being born, that sort of that moment of creation of life or suppose that transition to life. 
uh, the parents joy and, and just the good feeling that you end up having two hopefully healthy patients, uh, which is more than you get in the rest of medicine. Yeah. And then looking at my actual medical school career, I think yeah, in second year at Monash is when you do the theoretical learning about women's health. And then in fourth year, you do the practical placements. And, and certainly by fourth year, I was very much keen on that area. And the placement of the eight weeks uh, on obstetrics and gynecology really confirmed that. And so I've been working towards that ever since. Yeah, nice. So have there been any moments really which made you question if this was actually right for you? I'm lucky that I think because I'm only in my second uh, residency year and because residents uh, generally always have, or basically always will have a registrar supervising them or in very close association with them, that I haven't had too many moments where I've had to make the critical decisions and where therefore if things go wrong, uh, that may sort of impact you negatively more, more, more in terms of your mental health and your emotional well-being. So I'm lucky in terms, I haven't really questioned whether obstetrics and gynecology is the right field for me yet. I'm fairly comfortable with that. Um, I'm sure at some point in time, like everyone, I will have experience a bit of burnout and start to question things. And I suppose at that point, hopefully I'll be able to reflect back on all the great experiences, all the love that I've had and the reasons that I'm going into obstetrics and gynecology and really use that to ride through those, those difficult times. Um, and I suppose the next question is because we, we, we do have a lot of listeners that are interested in the field of obstetrics and some of them might be interested in what the pathway is like to being an obstetrician. So I wondered if you could just go through that with us. Yeah, of course. Now, this is subject to change, of course, and I'm just sort of talking generally. And I think the, the Ranscog site um, is the best place for those aspiring trainees to go and have a look at the actual details. But the way it currently stands is that, um, of course, you do your medical school, you do your internship. And then generally, most people will do one or more years of being an ONG resident, uh, and plus or minus a bit of unaccredited registrar work, which and that's basically where you're working as a registrar, as a junior registrar. But the time that you're doing that doesn't count towards the training program, which is why it's unaccredited as opposed to being accredited. Right. The entrance into the college is via, uh, is based on three things. It's a CV, which has a number of, of different criteria, uh, an interview, and then also your hospital or your health network will rank their applicants from one to however many applicants they have. And that all weighs in as to who gets on the program. It's crazy. So the competition doesn't really end with Never the beginning ends. of medicine. <laughs> No, no, it's a look and it's very competitive, of course. Everyone is very talented. It's a bit like in middle school. Everyone's very talented, very hardworking, and especially at that point, they're all very, very driven. So uh, it makes it very tough. But it also, I suppose, means that you're getting hopefully the best people to be the future obstetricians and gynecologists in this case. Yeah, very true. You definitely only want the best people kind of delivering your baby. <laughs> Exactly. Once you're on the program, though, um, it's four years of what they call core training, uh, uh, during which you sit a written exam and then an oral exam or an OSCE. Uh, once you've passed those, um, you can move on. And after the four years, you can move on to your two years of advanced training where you're a senior registrar. And then at the end of those six years, you're awarded your fellowship, which means that you can be a consultant uh, obstetrician gynecologist. A lot of people at that point in time, and it's becoming increasingly prevalent, choose to do a subspecialty training. So those can be things, and there's not an exclusive list, but urogynecology, endogynecology, reproductive medicine, maternal fetal medicine, and those take variably another two or three years, and there's another application process to subspecialize in those things. But those people can be considered fellows of the college. Wow. So basically it never ends. <laughs> <laughs> Always ongoing learning, but that's the fun of it. Um, so what does a week look like in your life? Because like 
You have a lot going on. You have so much going on. And every, whenever Evan's spoken to me about it, I'm just like, how does he actually do that? Yeah, like, <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you actually make it all work? Uh, look, I think it's about um, trying to be efficient, trying to be dedicated and have some sort of plan. Um, I'm not always sure that I, how I make it work or that I do make it work. A uh, typical week for me is I'm fully em- uh, full-time employment at Monash Health. And so, of course, that my life revolves around the roster there. And that, of course, is variable uh, to days, uh, weekends and nights uh, on a variable basis. Mm-hmm. I also do my research work and meetings and I fit those around my uh, full-time work. I also do a bit of private assisting with uh, some of the consultant obstetricians at one of the local hospitals, and that's both elective and sort of the emergency cesareans that get called after hours when I'm not working. Yeah, so you actually had and some then, emergency uh, C-sections today, didn't you? The podcast nearly got put, pushed back. <laughs> I know, I was badly texting Evan this afternoon saying that I was in theatre, so we did three Caesars and delivered four babies, lovely twins at 35 weeks, um, all of them emergency. So that's how I spend my days off. <laughs> amazing amazing and still managed to meet the calendar time actually we were late by five minutes yeah we were <laughs> i don't even have a job <laughs> and i was like quickly give me a copy i just finished placement <laughs> copy stat well look i'm glad glad it's not just not just me holding people up <laughs> <laughs> so um james i guess now we kind of want to go into a little bit more about research because we also have some listeners that are really interested in research Um, So I know we touched on a little bit about it at the start of the episode, but let's go a little bit into meta-research because I know that's something that you're really passionate about. Yeah, so meta-research is a term that's been increasingly coined in the literature and increasingly examined by various people around the world, uh, which is basically research about research. So we know that there is an increasing amount of uh, medical literature being produced, and that's in part because all the junior doctors around the world now are increasingly being uh, requested to do research and have that research published. It's often a metric for uh, both doctors and and academics uh, as to their research output is a very key uh, KPI for them. Uh, and so this looks the idea of meta research is looking at the quality of the research that is being produced so are we actually answering the knowledge gap that exists is the research of actual quality or is it just small studies that are being churned out which actually don't change the uh, evidence base at the end of the day and so from the research that you've done looking into meta research what what have you found what's what's the picture looking like so what we've looked at, and we've looked at a couple of areas within obstetrics, uh, and so this, of course, it doesn't broadly reflect necessarily the whole field or other fields, but is that the number of articles are significantly increasing. Uh, there are various parameters by which we can measure quality, but a little bit subjective and a little bit objectively. Uh, things like for randomized control trials, registering the trial prospectively, which hopefully means that you can't change the trial too much later on to pick and choose the results you want. Uh, those things are improving as the increasing awareness of that occurs and as journals demand that that happens. But there is a lot of research still being done that is very small, single-centred, um, that cross-collaboration is not occurring. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. And, and one particular key reason is that the first, the, being the first author on a paper is seen as very is seen as very important and it's important and, and that means that you're more likely to do a small study where you can be the first author and Evan you do a separate study where you're the first author rather than all of us working together uh, to produce larger sample size and therefore hopefully more robust evidence. Right so really we're getting a dilutional effect um, that's occurring. Yeah exactly exactly and it means that 
especially in something like obstetrics, where the evidence is not great um, in some areas and where the standardization of procedures and of medications and the order in which one would use or do things isn't there. If everyone is just doing what their single site does and it makes it very hard to compare, whereas if you do a multi-centered study, even if different techniques are there, you can standardize the study so hopefully it makes it easier to compare the medications used or the, the surgical techniques used and hopefully therefore get better evidence rather than relying on subsequent uh, meta-analyses or something like that to analyse the evidence. Do you want to tell us a bit about why research is so important in obstetrics? Yeah, look, as I think as I said, um, the fact is that with pregnant women and with, with babies, there's always so much more concern. So we're seeing it currently with the COVID vaccines that the pregnant women are being left out of the trials. And that's because, of course, uh, quite reasonably, you're taking healthy people, but you've also got a fetus and you don't know what the impact of that is. And history is littered with uh, moments and incidents and medications where we've subsequently realised that this is doing harm to the baby and that wasn't detected. So there's obviously a, a very well-based hesitancy in doing that. But that also means that the evidence base isn't great um, at times and that a lot of it comes down to individual uh, user experience and comfort. And that depends on where you're trained generally because you naturally go for what you've been trained in and therefore what you're an expert in. And so I think for obstetrics, it's really important. We want to make sure that the care that we give our women and, and the babies is is optimal, that we do everything as much as we can to make sure that we have a healthy mom and a healthy baby at the end. And also that the impact of what we're doing, especially on the baby, uh, is known, I suppose, is weighed up in the risk and benefit profile that we always do. Um, but also hopefully that, that impact is minimised so that babies aren't being harmed in the long term when they're 30 or 40 years old. All right. So um, me and James actually do a little bit of research as well. So James was one of the people that kind of got me interested in obstetrics and gynecology because at the start, um, he was the resident that was supervising me on my placement. Um, and I actually started doing some research um, with James. And that's what kind of that's one of the things that contributed to me being interested in the field. Um, so James has been, you know, a fantastic supervisor any time of the day. Um, you know, I've been able to message him with sometimes the stupidest of questions and he'll always reply. So, James, do you have um, anything to say to our audience for anyone that might be potentially interested in entering the field um, of obstetrics and gynecology in terms of research? Well, I think certainly in terms of anyone who wants to be on the program, wait till I'm on because it's already competitive enough. And then you're more than welcome to come and apply. I'm, I'm coming for you, mate. <laughs> But no, look, I think it's it's a great field. I think we're doing research in it. There is Because there is that uncertainty, there's so much that we can explore. It covers a vast array by the time you look at obstetrics and the gynecology side. Uh, there's a vast array of things to do. And I'm more than happy to be contacted by anyone, any of the listeners uh, and any of their contacts, um, either via social media or via the podcast. And, and Evan and Kayla can pop you through to me. So I'm really welcome to collaborate and to give some guidance and advice and answer any questions that anyone might have. Oh, amazing. And we'll definitely, when we put up the Facebook post and stuff like that, we'll, we'll link to your um, Facebook yes. and your yeah, Gmail yeah, in, in, in the comments. Yeah, that looks, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, awesome. So speaking of working with Evan, what's the most annoying thing about working with him? This is pretty annoying. <laughs> Uh, look, I, I think I think it's actually his uh, his efficiency and his um, professionalism. Must admit, um, you know, you, most of our you know, look, it's, it's it's true. Some of our medical students don't aren't that dedicated, and um, you know, I must admit. It's when, when I get the, the one o'clock messages of, you know, I've got all these questions that I have to then answer. Um, that can be a little bit annoying, but it's a good annoying. <laughs> Question back at you, Evan. 
What's the most annoying thing about James? Oh, probably just, you know, going for a toilet break and coming out and I get an email and it just says, James has published a new paper. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad way to be. Good good answer to your supervisor. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So, James, I guess next. So, going kind of away from work and away from research, what are some of your hobbies? So, look, I like doing things around the house. I'm really a very keen gardener. Um, I enjoy sort of the leisure time of Netflix and reading books. I'm particularly a fan of history books. And so that's what I use to try and sort of take a break from medicine. Any good uh, uh, Netflix shows you're watching at the moment? Oh, what's the last one? I am watching a sort of a French uh, show called Call My Agent, which is uh, sort of a French... Uh, follows a couple of um, movie actresses and their agents and, and those kind of things. But the, the top Netflix recommendation I have for anyone that hasn't seen it is Money Heist. There is a new season oh, coming out. That is I excellent. I still refuse oh to God. watch Money Heist. No, stop, stop. You're so annoying. And I've been telling him for so long he needs to watch it. And he refuses to because of subtitles. Like, it's not that oh, hard no, no, to no. read. You're yeah, no, you, And you cannot watch foreign language uh, films or episodes with dubbing. It needs no. the original language with subtitles. It ruins... It, the dubbing ruins the characters. Like, it does, because you don't get their, their essence, their emotion. Like, when you translate something in a different language, it doesn't... Yeah, that's true. It doesn't that's directly right. translate. So it seems cheesy. So you can't watch it with dubbing. Like, you can't. Unfortunately, James has scheduled me with too much work, so money heist is out. <laughs> he finds a way to do it. You can find a way to do it. <laughs> so, James, if there's, if you could do anything else in the world, what would it be and why? Look, I think I have two two uh, dream jobs. One would be a travel photographer. I really enjoy my photography. And, yep, COVID has made the travel side of things very hard but I think being paid to go travel the world take those Instagram worthy shots uh, would be absolutely fantastic uh, the other thing that I do and this sort of ties in with my hobbies and the dream job would be sort of being the chief Formula One uh, doctor uh, I volunteer with an organisation called Team Medical Australia and they provide uh, the medicine, medical support uh, for motorsports, so including uh, for the Australian Grand Prix, the V8 supercars, and then all your sort of subcategories of your historic cars and your sort of weekend um, races and those kind of things. Mate, is there anything that you do not do? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there's not a, not a lot of pregnant women on the uh, racetrack, but it does <laughs> the same emergency protocols apply. Um, yeah, no, I always said that I, if I ever got into that field that I would want to work as a sports doctor for Richmond Football Club. Not because I'm interested in sports medicine, just to be around the club. <laughs> we know you're doing it for the, um, for the, the men and women that are um, all fit and athletic. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> so, um, James, what's some advice that you can give to our listeners? Maybe some personal advice for anyone that's interested in taking the journey through, uh, towards obstetrics and gynecology or midwifery um, and maybe some study advice as well because, I mean, obviously you've been so successful. So, you know, any knowledge that you can pass on would be very much appreciated. I'm, I'm pulling out a notepad to start taking notes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a couple of key points of advice. I think, firstly, you've got to love what you're doing. So there is no, you know, anything, any field, be it nursing and midwifery, be it your allied health, be it any field within medicine um, and probably the, the wider careers out there as well. Everything is going to be hard work. You're always going to have bad days and you need to be able to pull back and, and rely on that inner love and, and and drive that you've got to do that profession. And so I think if you found that, go for it, give it your all. Um, 
that that love and that passion will make you a great whatever you choose to do, uh, because I think that's the biggest part of it. I think you need to also take some time for yourself. And I know I sound very busy, but I think trying to prioritize whether it be a walk each day or whether it be saying I'm going to read a chapter of my book or do that gardening that you love is really important. I think for those aspiring to be um, obstetrician gynecologists, I think it's about networking and being seen. And I think the research side of things really brings that out, uh, especially when you're quite junior in your career, when you're not able to do all the procedures and operations and have all the knowledge uh, that the consultants are looking for. If you can at least work with those consultants on research side of things, they'll see how hardworking, how dedicated you are, and that can elevate your profile and, and allow you to network with people. And I now collaborate with people literally around the world um, because of the connections and slow work that I've done in research to build that uh, network up. And I think finally, the, the biggest thing I always say to myself is to have no regrets. So I think if, you know, if you're applying for medical school or, or nursing and midwifery, if you're applying for a particular hospital rotation or you're applying for Ranskog training, for example, if you can give it your all and at the end of the day say, I couldn't have done anything different, I couldn't have done anything more and I have no regrets, if you miss out, you'll still be disappointed. You'll still need to take a moment to absorb that, but at least you can say to yourself, I did everything I could. I gave it my best shot and, and it just wasn't enough in this case or this year. And so that's always the way I try and do it. It says, hey, at the end of the day, if I have no regrets, I've done everything I can, then what will be, will be. And James, just one more time. So if people do want to reach out to you, maybe to just ask you some more questions about your pathway and, and, and how to kind of um, be involved with you in research, where do they find you? So uh, my name's James Kemper, and I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. Um, so I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram um, under the same name. So you can find me there. Um, you can also go through Podstetrics, and I'm sure Evan and Kayla will be happy to pass on my details to you or vice versa. Beautiful. Well, thank you, James. You've been an amazing mentor and an and a even, even better guest. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us. Um, we really appreciate it. No, look, guys, thank you very much for having me on. I think this podcast is going places very, very quickly. I was very impressed, especially by last week's episode. Um, hopefully, I've lived up to the expectation. And as I said, um, you know, I'm more than happy to be contacted by anyone. And, and thank you very much for having me on. Mate, thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Um, and just quickly, in terms of where people can find us, um, so we're at Podstetrics. Um, we've also just recently set up a link tree. Um, and this just basically puts everything in one one click so you guys can just go and click on that to follow all of our social media accounts so we'll be posting that again um, when we release the latest episode thank you guys thank you guys so much for tuning into episode three yep and as always take care and look after yourselves stay safe mm -hmm.